Praise God. Let's do that right now. Come on, let's give God praise right now. Come on, give the Lord praise. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. Give the Lord praise. Come on, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Ah, my, my, hasn't the Lord been good to us? He's been better to me than what I deserve. Anybody else feel that way tonight? Praise God. It is such a tremendous honor to be back in Denison at True Church. And we give honor to your pastor. And, and it makes me so happy to say we give honor to your pastor's wife. just met her before church and um, she's real she really is real and if you don't believe in miracles just look at your pastor's wife that's a walking miracle and uh, I know there's been a, a lot of prayers prayed and God is a prayer answering God amen he really, he, he really is. I, I want to do um, what I feel tonight, and um, we've got uh, three nights here, and I feel like we're going to get some good things done, and I have really debated. I didn't know what night would be the biggest. Um, not because the crowd size means anything to me other than I want as many people as possible to uh, partake of the bread that we're going to break here. Um, but I really felt strong in praying um, that I was to begin the night with this. Actually, um, and I believe God orchestrates things in his time and is perfect. Um, several weeks ago when the Lord first started dealing with me about this, um, actually it's been probably a couple of months ago now, not a couple of weeks, I thought of you, this church, pastor and his wife, and it was like, the Lord just let me know, just hang on to that and in, in my perfect timing, because we didn't, at that time, we didn't, we didn't have anything scheduled, and then it wasn't very many days after that he called, and so I've been, this has been burning in me, and uh, I want to preach to you here tonight for a little while. Genesis chapter 22. best friend I got in the whole world right now is the sound man and um, I 
got a little sinus drainage, so uh, let's be friends. Praise God. Amen. Uh, one man said that uh, that when Satan fell out of heaven, that he fell in the sound booth, but I don't believe that. He might have fell in the sound system, but I don't know about the sound booth. Praise God. I'm just thankful for this media team back here that keeps all this going. Uh, they're on the ball. Um, they want my stuff 21 days before I get here. <laughs> Praise God. I like it. I'm serious. I like it, man. Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass, verse number one, after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, say this with me, here I am. Say that again, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the way the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. I want you to look at this next phrase, and they went both of them together. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. So they went, both of them. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid on him the altar, laid him upon the altar, upon the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of the heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God seeing that thou hast withheld, has not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. You don't have to turn there. The writer of Hebrews in chapter number 11 
references this. Genesis says, because of Abraham's fear of God, the writer Hebrews, Hebrews says, because of Abraham's faith in God. And here's what it says. He received the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. Listen to this phrase. Even he of whom it was said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That's, that's a key phrase to where I want to go tonight. He offered him up even though God said that thing right there, that boy right there, in him I'm going to fulfill all of my promises. And the, the writer of Hebrews says even in lieu of that, he still was willing to offer him up. I want to preach tonight for a little while just I'm not going to hold you long, but I, I want you to lean in and listen. Give me your minds. But I want to preach something. I heard, I heard this praying in the spirit. I want to preach tonight for just a little while from this thought. Now I know. Now I know. Would you turn and would you look at your neighbor and would you just say that with them? Now, now I know. Say that. Now I know. Would you take somebody's hand, and I want us to pray before we're seated. I know you've got school and work tomorrow. The hour's still early. I'm not going to hold you late, but let's go fast and furious here for the next few moments, and let's see what the Lord will do for us. I believe there is a, I believe there is a, there's a prophetic utterance in this place. I believe this, I believe this is a moment, and I believe. Before we're finished here tonight, there's some things going to make gonna make better sense. Would you, that hand you're holding, would you just lift your voice and pray that God would help us here for the next few moments? Would you do that with me right now? Come on, all over this house. Oh, that's it. Do it, Jesus. <laughs> Come on, that's it. Let us go there, God. Come on, I feel an uptick. I feel an uptick. Jesus.
Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be, you can be seated. I, I want to make a couple of very important statements kind of um, to set the stage, so to speak, a premise, um, an opening paragraph before I get into the body of all of this. In fact, God will help us tonight. I'll probably reach back and make reference to this again. How many here tonight has God given you promises? Um, obviously, if you are a reader, a believer in this, you know that there are basic promises that are given to all of us. And we know that those promises are yea and amen. The promises that I'm asking you about, though, are personal promises. I don't know if God given anybody here personal promises. And I, I, I feel like transparent preaching is okay here. So we're just going to be raw and, and real. How many here has, do you feel like God's ever given you something prophetic? Like spoke, spoken something very specific to you. I, I feel that. I, I sense that. In fact, you don't feel that everywhere you go. But... Um, 50 years ago, you couldn't talk like this, but um, it was kind of uh, taboo. But in today's society, I guess it's okay. But um, there's something different about a woman when she's expecting. Obviously, she looks different. Um, when she is carrying the child in late, uh, later Towards full term, she walks different. Um, there are actually things hormonally that goes on in her body that are different. Her appetite is different. How many of you men, did your wife have any weird cravings when she was pregnant? And these things have helped me over the last 25 years be able to identify churches who are pregnant with promise or pregnant with a prophetic because they don't walk like everybody else. And they don't, they don't talk like everybody else. You, you, let, you, let, a couple, you, you let a couple pregnant women get together and they're not talking about what other women are talking about. They're talking about, they're talking about baby's bedroom and the colors they're going to paint the walls and I'm preaching already and you don't even realize it. 
In fact, if you'll ask some of these women, and I don't know if they've ever stopped to think about it, when they're pregnant, they can, if, if they can feel real, real disconnected from the rest of the hen house. Ladies, don't get mad at me. You, you know women, that's what they do. That's just old vernacular for women like to talk. But, but you, you, you've got different things on your mind. You're thinking about different things. There is, there is an awareness. There is an air of uh, being prepared. You're preparing. Something is coming. Churches that, churches that are pregnant with the prophetic, they don't, they, don't, they don't crave and desire what everybody else craves. Their appetite is different. People who are in pursuit of authentic apostolic things. I'm talking about organic. I'm talking about the book of Acts. I'm not talking about this new inch deep, mile wide, fluffy stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that organic stuff where blinded eyes are being opened and lame. You don't crave what everybody else is craving. And uh, we haven't talked, and, and I, I feel like your pastor and I are only going to get closer through the years. I like his spirit, but it's best the way it is right now because I can come in and preach like this, and you know he hasn't been filling my mind with stuff. But don't bow up on this man when he starts taking a stand about something. Listen, why do you have to make everything an issue of whether it's heaven or hell? There's some things I don't need a verse. I just have a different craving. Come on, I have a different desire. There's something different I want. And, and in the apostolic world, there's a thing called access. And not everybody can access the prophetic. And I want to live in such a way. And I want to crave the right things. And I want to walk the right way that gives me access into those places of power. Come on, I need you to help me right now. How many want to be a part of a church where miracle signs and wonders happen on a consistent basis? You can't look like the world and help the world. You can't crave what the world craves and help the world. If you're going to be otherworldly, you got to be otherworldly. My God, where'd that come from? You, you, I sense that here. I sense, I, I sense pastor is, is still trying to reason with some of you and to get you to cross over to the other side, but I got news for you. Just hear what I'm telling you right now. I hear a train whistle, and this baby's about to leave the station, and I don't know how much longer God's going to wait around on some of you to decide whether or not you really want But if you'll be honest, there is promises and there's the prophetic and then there's the present. And I'm telling you, we're going to be raw. We're going to be real tonight, Kate. But then there's the present. Now, in my opening statements, I also would like to pull into this. It's very interesting that we get 22 chapters into the Bible before we see this word. But the first time that the word worship is used is not used until Genesis chapter 22 
when Abraham tells the servants, you stay here, the lad and I are going to worship. It's the first time the word's used. There is a reward that we're in pursuit of, but then if you're a realist and you're honest, the reward is this, the promise and the prophetic can be this, oftentimes this ominous minor key that's, you believe in it, but it's so, it's so vague that at times the greatest struggle that we have is while we believe there's a promise and we believe there's the prophetic, there's the present, and so we struggle with the disconnect between the two. We struggle with where we know we're supposed to be and where we want to be, but then we have to admit where we're at. And, and, and there's a thing that you have to understand. It's a word, and oh, this word is... It's packed with so much, and I'm not even going to start trying to unpack it, but just the word causes us to tremor uh, and tremble. But there's a word called process, and oftentimes that is the road. That's what we label or what we deem as the disconnect. But there's a promise between, or there's a process between the present and, and that promise. And it's not that God needs time to get the prophetic ready. God, God puts us through the process because God is trying not to grow the promise up. He's trying to grow us in to the size of the promise that we're able to handle it once we get there. God's got to know what a man's going to do with power before he gives it to him. God's got to know what a man's going to do in a position of authority before he puts it in there. I want to know, David, how you're going to handle a lion and a bear in the private before I put you on a public stage. I know what you're going to do with Goliath because I've seen how you handled But it took a while to get there. 20 years. Joseph, I got to know what you're going to do when you're second in authority and your word's as good as the king and the land's in a famine. I got to know how you're going to handle a harvest. So I'm going to put you through 20 years of false accusations and brothers that hate you and prisons and pits. But because before I can trust you to handle the multitudes, I got to know how you're going to handle me. I'm saying a whole lot right now and I don't know if you really hear what I'm saying. I got to know before you get there and I know how you're going to handle them by how I've watched you handle yourself. And so that plays into this. And somehow Instead of Abraham calling it bewilderment, he calls it worship. Knowing all the way there in a three days journey, every time he turns around and he looks on, saddled up on the other ass, the very thing he waited so long for God to give him. And God said, through that, I'm going to fulfill my promises but also knowing in the back of his mind that God told him he's going to go kill and give up his only son. And it's a thing called contradiction. And for three days, but God, you said, 
but God, you said it was going to happen through him and his mind is in one big knot. It's in one big question mark and he's fighting within himself. Come on. But when he gets to the base, when he gets to the base of the hill, he doesn't call it wonderment or bewilderment. He says, you stay here. The lad and I will return to you. We will go, beyond, we will go yonder to worship. Praise God. And the Old Testament says that Abraham did it out of fear. The New Testament says that he done it out of faith. But when you put both things together, it's what you got is trust. Abraham trusted God. Abraham feared. And I love all of this. Man, this is neat. This blows my mind. I love worship bands. I love worship songs. I love worship sessions. I love worship con conferences and worship concerts. I, I love worship up front line. I, I love all of this. I love the drums and the organ and the keyboard. But I'm going to tell you something. The world of worship is much larger than the lyrics on a screen. The world of worship is much greater, come on, than a bass fine and the bass line or a B3 whining out the harmony. Worship, can you trust God? Come on, worship, can you serve him in the absence of clarity? Hallelujah. Worship is more than just singing on the song, singing the song when the words are on the screen. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Worship is when you pick one foot up and you put it in front of the other. When you don't, when you don't know what God's doing, when you don't understand where God's at. His name first was Abram, which meant mighty father. When his name was changed, it was changed to Abraham which meant father of many nations. Listen. I don't want to offend you here tonight. I'm not doing away with the classical view of how we've looked at the story of Abraham and Isaac. I'm not here to insult that. In fact, the things that I will state will only substantiate that classical view. But if he was mighty father, and then he was father of many nations, the binding of Isaac, this test from God, you got to understand that child sacrifice was regarded as one of the worst evils. I'm going to preach in Denison tonight. I'm going to preach to me. If I don't preach to anybody else, I need to hear what I'm preaching. I'm going to preach this to me. Child sacrifice was regarded as one of the worst evils. It was, ev it was widely practiced, but pastor, it wasn't practiced among God-fearing people. It was practiced by those who did adultery or idolatry, excuse me. It was practiced by the heathens. In fact, 2 Kings chapter 3 records the king of Moab sacrificing his oldest son. I want to ask you the question, was the point of Abraham's trial, was it really whether or not he was willing to sacrifice his son? Was that really the point? 
problem if that's really the point. Because if God was just really seeing Bishop Gilbert, if he would sacrifice his son, what would that have proven? That would have made him no better than the pagan king in 2 Kings chapter 3. How much sense would it make for God to tell him you're going to be the father of many nations if the whole point of the test, come on, if God said you're going to be a father, how, how much sense does it make if the test was whether or not he would really kill his son? The classical view is moving. Abraham loved God. He did love God more than his own son. But for the things I've aforementioned, I continue to dig. There's no doubt, indubitably, this was a great test. This was a great trial. And it did involve Isaac. And it did test Abraham's faith to the limit. But it seems to me it was about something altogether different than just whether or not Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. The trying part. He come up, The perplexing part of the Abrahamic story. Come on, right back to where I started. The trying part, the perplexing part of our story. Come on, it's God's promises. Come on, but the present and God's God God's reward. But the reality, it's the disconnect when what God promised doesn't match up to what I'm facing. That's what the writer of Hebrew was trying to express to us. He was not only willing to offer up his son, he was willing to offer him up after God had told him that's how the promise is going to happen. You're not ready for what I'm fixing to tell you. Seven, time God, seven times God promises Abraham land. But his wife dies. And he doesn't even have anywhere to bury her. Seven times he tells him, Bishop, I'm going to give you land. And his wife dies. He has nowhere to bury her. And he has to buy a place to bury her at an absorbent amount. There's a disconnect there. How can you promise a man land and his wife dies and he doesn't even have anywhere to lay her? From the beginning, from the beginning, Pastor Gilbert, he's asked to give up land, give up birthplaces, give up his father's house, give up his father's business. Come on, he's promised, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. Without hesitation, Abraham leaves. He arrives at Canaan and builds a couple altars and almost immediately he faces a famine. Famine? This doesn't look like favor. He's forced to go to Egypt. His life is at risk. He asks Sarah to lie putting her, her life at risk. And we know he was greatly criticized for this. How, after all, Abraham's done for God could a man find himself in this position? Famines, falsehoods, 
and facing death. It's the sinuous serpentine trail between my present and the promise called process. And it's winding. How does a man give up everything that he gave up and almost immediately face famine and falsehood and death? Abraham is learning about the long road between the present and the promise called process. Not because God doesn't keep his word. Come on, I want this church to listen to me. Sister, Sister Gilbert, would you hear me? I know you don't know me, but listen. Not because God doesn't keep his word. Not because God gets some kind of kick out of watching us suffer. But Abraham, why don't you, what you don't understand is I'm trying to prepare you and a people to do something. I'm trying to create a spiritual society. I'm trying to do something that has never been done in the earth before. Hallelujah. He was here a couple Wednesday nights ago. I love him. I know this church loves him. Pastor loves him. But you watch a young man like Dylan Morgan preach with the anointing that he preaches with. You don't preach with that kind of anointing without walking in dark, lonely places, without being hurt, without being confused. I want this church to understand me. Have you not asked God for a special anointing? Have you not asked God to set you apart? I've come to preach to you to whom much is given, much is required. God I'm trying to call a people out of idolatry I'm trying to create a spiritual society I'm trying to create a model to reveal to the rest of the world this is what I want to do for you that I'm doing through Israel but I want to tell you something this demands integrity this demands fidelity this demands character Demands it, Bishop. And God's delays are not his denials. He's developing us, First Lady. He doesn't give people special. He doesn't give people special power without giving them special problems. You show me somebody with special problems and I'll show you somebody that if they can keep trusting God, there's special power on the way. The Navy SEALs, one of the most special, powerful branches Come on, of our defense in this nation. It's no accident that before they're qualified to be a SEAL, come on, that last little bit of their training is called Hell Week. It's days without sleep. They test them. Why? Because special forces, come on, there's got to be resilience there. Come on, God's got to know that we're not going to break under the pressure. God's got to know that we're not going to fold under the friction. God's got to know. Nothing great, nothing great and transformative happens overnight. 
God, what are you preaching to us? I'm preaching the same thing that they're trying to see in Hellwick with those Navy SEALs. What are you going to do when you get tired? What are you going to do when you get frustrated? What are you going to do when you're disappointed? Come on. What are you going to do when they push you to your limits? Come on. God's got to see something in this church that says we're going to keep going. Come on. We haven't lost our drive. We still have an insatiable thirst and an insatiable hunger for the miraculous. We're not stopping. We're not backing up. Come on, mess with our kids, we're not backing up. Mess with our wife, we're not backing up. Put us through sickness. Brother Gilbert, look at me. Friends are negotiable. Greatness is non-negotiable. Being liked is negotiable. Being liked by him is non-negotiable. God will do what he promised. Just not immediately or directly. God's seeking those who have the tenacity to keep going in spite of the setbacks. Look at your neighbor and say, here we go again. God starts promising him children. stars in the light of day you can see the sand when night falls you no longer can see the grains of sand but when you look up the stars by day and by night Yet how many times did Abraham shake somebody's hand and they ask him, what's your name? Abraham. How many sons do you have? How many times did he have to explain that? Hi, my name's, what's your name? Abraham. Awesome. How many boys you have? How old are you? How long you been at this? Genesis 13, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. He heard these things, had faith in them. It's a terrible mistake of Ishmael. 
God tells him to drive Ishmael out. I'm not going to do it like that. Finally, Sarah, way beyond childbirthing age, conceives. And God now comes to Abraham and says, take Isaac and offer him up. I went all these years without a son, and you finally, I have one. You say that one's not it. I finally have the right one, and the very one you tell me that all these promises are going to come to pass through. Kill him. Oh, God wants to see if Abraham has the courage to sacrifice his son. Come on, folks. Pagans had the courage. was widespread in the ancient world, but it was unacceptable in Judaism. Come on, go with me. Is it really God wanting to know if he'd give something else up? All Abraham's done to this point is give stuff up. From the beginning, his relationship with God started by him giving stuff up. His land, his home, his kin, his friends, his comforts, everything that he knew. He's given up Hagar. He's given up Ishmael, whom he loved. And you really want to hang on to this? God, really? You need to know, do you really think God is still not convinced if Abraham's going to give something up? No, this trial was different. Abraham, what I want to know is, what are you going to do with uncertainty? Abraham, I want to know what, you wanna, what you're going to do. Come on, when you're faced with a fog in your faith. I want to know when they're, well, I want to know, Abraham, when you're faced with a contradiction, when things don't make sense, when things don't add up. Abraham, when one and one doesn't equal two and two and two doesn't equal four. Come on. From a human standpoint, it's a divine, it is, a, it, is a, it is an undoubtable contradiction when you look at what you're trying to do and then what she's been through and what it's put you through and what your mom's been through and what your dad's going through. You look at all of this and you say, it doesn't add up. Faced with contradiction and seemingly nothing to resolve it. God wants to know if Abraham can live with a lack of clarity. God wants to know what Abraham will do with no answers, no solutions, and no explanations. And you've watched. You watch what they've done. Without complaint. Well, she fought for her life. The nights, yeah, grandparents want grandkids. But the nights, mom, you didn't feel like you'd put one foot in front of another. And you laid there with the weight of guilt 
of knowing somebody else was having to take care of your kids. And it was all you could do to just fight to stay alive. People have thrown in the towel. Come on, you, st you still got this man on, on, on Jerry to see if you're going to... If you're going to follow him and let him be your pastor. I've seen people quit. I've seen people quit over a quarter. I've seen people quit over a tenth of what this family's been through. Talk to this man in these groceries shopping with four kids. I'm not saying this stuff to make you feel bad. Because I know you were fighting for your life while he was doing what he had to do. No answers. No solutions. No explanations. Darren, is she going to live? I don't know. walked to this pulpit and he preached faith. He had counseling sessions with you when he didn't. He had counseling sessions with you where wisdom poured out of him. God used him. And he helped mend things over the last couple of years in your lives and in your marriages. And he couldn't even walk out and go home and give his wife any answers. I got news for you. What you felt when that woman raised her voice on that organ was not just her ability. It was not just elder sister Gilbert's ability for her vocal cords to strike and to find the right note. It has a whole, worship has a whole lot more to do than just finding the keys on an organ. If I could play an organ like that, if I could sing like that, that ain't what it's all about. Can you live like that? Can you trust like that? Can you love God like that? All this fluffy stuff that people are calling worship. It might be praise, but it's not worship. Worship is when you do right and you feel like you're being wronged. Worship is when you trust. Come on, but in the back of your mind, you're scared to death. Worship is... times you walked to this pulpit and you preached and you didn't know if you were doing it in spite. You didn't know if you were doing it to hurt her or help her. No answers. No solutions. My little old pity. Meager. Futile little complaints. First time I preached here, it was on a midweek. We went out to eat. He said he was taking the kids. I got to be honest, I thought this is going to be a circus. I'd have been throwing menus. Pulling my hair out of my head. I about have a nervous breakdown when they were young and I had to deal with one. Let alone four little cute monkeys. No more monkeys jumping on the bed. Smooth sailing. Smooth sailing. I got in my car and I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to 
tell you, you thought I'd come here to help you. I came to preach to look at him and all these kids so it could help me, and I wept half the way home. And I said, God, I'm so stupid for the things I'm crying and complaining about. I don't know what you're going to, I got to know what you're going to do. I got to know if you've got the tenacity because, again, I'm fixing to raise up a model. God wasn't trying to choose. He didn't choose Israel to love them exclusively. He was trying to set up a model to show the rest of the world, this is what I want to do with you. This is what I want to do with your church. And I got to know what you're going to do when you get stuck. I want to know how you're going to live with uncertainty. I want to know how you're going to conduct yourself when problems are probing to the point. And every time for three days, Abraham looks over his shoulder, which by, I'm just telling you, I know how men, I know how this man thinks. And I'm sure somewhere in his mind, he's also thinking, God, if you don't somehow do something, I've got some explaining to do when I get home. up the hill binds him to the altar and I'm going to pause you right there I've been 34 minutes I'm hurrying so what does that look like what's a man got what's a man to do what's a family to do what's a pastor's wife to do when you're faced with the absence of, of certainty what do you do when, you're, when there's an obvious disconnect? What do you do when there's an obvious contradiction? If you were listening to my reading, I underlined, underscored, I put emphasis on two things that kept showing up in the text. And these two things shine a light on what a person's got to do when they're in the process. Between here and there. Four or five times in about 15 verses. There's the words, here I am, or here am. You know what normally, you know what the normal reaction to all this is, Ginger? Just shut down. That's why you're not seeing more apostolic ministries. That's why you're seeing, that's why you're not seeing more churches op and ap operate in apostolic authority. Because when all this stuff starts happening and God starts testing us, to see if we can handle the load. People shut down. They start cutting corners and taking shortcuts. They start negotiating. They go back to the table and renegotiate things. Here am I. Here am I. The process, trusting God. God what God is looking for when you're in the throes of the test is your insistence on staying open. And staying available. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. It's going to that pulpit and preaching when you don't feel like it. It's lifting your hands and worshiping. It's showing up here when you don't feel like it. It's, it's putting money in the basket. It's paying your tithes when you feel like you've got so many bills you don't know how to cover. Is anybody hearing me right now? 
Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. That's what a man's got to do when he's faced with contradiction. Not only does it keep repeating, here I am, here am I, and, and here I am I, it also keeps saying, and both together, and them together, Abraham and Isaac. Come on, I don't have time to really preach this the way I'd like to, but I want to preach to some husbands and wives right now. you got to stay open, but you got to stay on the same page. Come on, you got to both love God. You gotta both be on fire. You gotta both have passion. You gotta both be going the same direction. I wanna tell a spouse right now, you better hear this prophet of God and I very rarely use that, but I speak as a prophet right now because I want you to understand the seriousness of this. There's gonna come a day that you're gonna wish you had this season back. If he's ready to live for God, you better get on the same page and live for God. If she's ready to live for God, sir, you better get on the same page and live for God. perfect no. Do we see everything eye to eye? No. Are you hearing me right now? Come on. Do we have differences? Absolutely. But I'm preaching to husbands and wives. I'm preaching to mama and children. I'm preaching to families. I'm preaching to brothers and sisters. Let's get together. Let's get on the same page. Let's all Isaac was just a, a little youngling, a little fletcher. You know, he's in his late 20s. Probably could have outmanned his father. But together, 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 you didn't die, sis. But at the same time, I'm pleading with you. You can't let that other stuff die either. It's got to leave. And I know you've been fighting for your breath. But now that you're starting to get your feet under you, you got to fight for the promises. you got to fight for the visions. you got to fight for the things that God showed you as a little girl. Come on, things that God started showing you long before you ever connected with him. Come on, it was more than just a physical attraction. God put you guys together because something left in both of you. Come on, God had a divine purpose. God didn't call him to pastor this church by itself. Come on, we're going to do it together. We're going to go together. We're going to see it together. We're going to get there together. We're going to fight together. We're going to party together. Hallelujah. We're going to go to hell through hell together, and we're going to experience heaven together. We're going to Just a keyboard player, that's it. Don't be distracted by the person coming. Because it's really just a decoy to make you think I'm quitting. <laughs> and he binds you. Whoa. 
ties the wood on him. Who had the who had the more difficult job? There was one. There was not one harder than the other. The one being bound or the one doing the binding. It was together. Child, I come against the spirit of division. I come against the spirit that wants to split this church and split families. Did he understand? No. Was he determined to go forward? Yes. So much so that the blade, he's already seeing the blade as it bludgeons the chest cavity of his own flesh and blood. And he's in the downward motion. And an angel says, Abraham, but he is so focused on doing what God said. The angel had to say it again. Abraham! And he gets it. He says it again. Here I am. I'm just doing what you said to do. I could have shut down three days ago, but his mouth out of the silence out of the uncertainty out of the contradiction out of the confusion out of the fall God speaks up and says now I know I'm not saying there's not going to be more trials no more troubles no more doubt I'm not saying that I'm just telling you in the spirit it's churches you personally you and your wife and your children, there's a, there's a corner being turned. Every trial has an expiration date. You know how I know that? Because even Jesus, and about the ninth hour, that's right, the man said it, it's finished. And the veil went. <laughs> And I hear it in the spirit. I don't even have to lean in. I hear him saying, okay, Darren and Ginger Gilbert, Bishop and Sister Gilbert. All right. Okay. If you didn't quit over that, if you kept preaching and kept praying and kept putting foot, kept putting one foot in front of another, hurt these kids. This hasn't hurt these kids. Mom, listen to me. This hasn't hurt these kids. It's put a grit in them. It's put a grit in them. And here's the deal, and this is what, this is what I'm closing with. Here's the flip side of it. You think I'm finished. Now, 
God says, now I know. You think that's the end of the story. But you see, God knows. God knows, but Abraham and Isaac still have a lot of questions. And Abraham's untying Isaac off that altar. And all of a sudden, somewhere over behind them, they hear something. And they look. And when they look, they see a ram caught in a thicket. <laughs> Rams don't get caught in thickets. You didn't hear what I just said. Rams don't get caught in thickets. Not unless God tangles them up there. God says, now I know. But here's what happens when God knows. Now Abraham grabs Isaac's hand, and as they look at the phenomenon of a ram being caught in the thicket, they look at one another. And Abraham looks at Isaac and he says, Now, now, I know. The tide is being stemmed, and something is turning. And now things are going to begin to happen in you and in your ministry and in this church. And when they begin to happen, it's no more whether or not God knows. God's convinced now. But when this stuff starts happening, you're going to go, oh, okay. That makes more sense now. Oh, all right. Okay. And I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost that God's going to do miracles. Ram in the thicket. Rams caught in the thicket miracles for this church where there's no explanation other than God caused it to happen. Now I know. And when it happens and you have to reach down and make sure. Come on, I said when it happens and you have to reach down and pinch yourself to make sure you're not dreaming and that you're really awake. Come on, you're going to open your mouth and say, oh, okay, now I know. Now I understand. I get it. This was what God was doing. This was... I'm finished with this. I've never pastored. I'm running as hard and fast the other direction I can from that and I have been for July will be 23 years I've been doing this full time so I've done a good job running from it but I have been involved for many years with pastors and their wives and ministry and preachers kids and so I've, I've done my share of working with people. I was connected to a situation. I can't give you the details. I'm just going to tell you it was something like nothing I've ever been involved in. Brother Gilbert, it was so bad that 
just by reason, the rational mind, there's no way the wife should have been able to hold up to it. I, and I've, I've heard some stuff. I'm, I'm just you. I'm, I'm the inurement. I, you just, I can't be surprised. This is one of the worst. I rode with this situation with these people through this. The whole time going, God have mercy. If this, if this ship doesn't wreck, it's going to do business in great waters. They got through it. Bigger, better, stronger, more anointed than ever. Four years after the kaboom, I was standing in an altar next to this woman. All of her family's there. It's this holy moment. The kiss of God is on this service. I mean, there is stuff happening everywhere. And I turn and she's standing a few feet from me and she turns and she looks at me knowing I know all the details. And she says, I wouldn't have chosen it, but I wouldn't change it. just what I'm preaching now I know some things we never understand but if you trust and serve God long enough he's not just going to take now I know moments without also giving you some again make, make myself clear I'm not saying you're going to walk out of here never face anything again. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the severity of some of this stuff. You've handled it and wondered. What's the shelf life? Am I the only one here that's ever wondered if a storm has a shelf life? Am I the only one that's ever taken a trial and turned it over and over and over looking for the expiration date? Something shifted. And I preach to them, but I preach to you because many of you have gone through your own stuff and many of you have faithfully gone through this with them. How, how long has this gone? Three years. At about the ninth hour. trust him I didn't say I understand him I didn't say I always agree with him I trust him and as a God lover and a person with great purpose on my life I know there is nothing that comes into my life that he won't take it and redeem it for my good Brother Marks, I'm weak. He's strong. He's strong. 
Let's stand. Now, Abraham, what are you going to do when nothing makes sense? What are you going to do when nothing adds up? I don't mean, I don't mean this. I'm not, I'm not humored in the least bit. You've just wanted revival for so long. This is what the ride looks like. Now we know that this is what the ride looks like. And I don't want to get over in the smooth lane. I don't even want to go where those roads go. Oftentimes at best, I'm just trying to give you a visual. It's a goat trail at best. Sometimes I feel like I've got a machete and I'm hacking my own way up the side of the hill and no one else has ever been there. I wouldn't trade anything for this life, though. Do you? I want this to be a place that drug addicts can come in here. And when they drive up on the parking lot, they dry out. I'm going to try one more time. God wants to give churches authority over the power of fentanyl, over the power of narcotics, over the power of methamphetamine. God wants to give churches authority over the spirits of perversion, over pornography, over division. God wants to give churches power over the spirit of divorce. true church to be a place where marriages are being busted up. God wants true church to be a, a church where marriages are being mended and marriages are being put back together. So don't feel sorry for me. people who've been marked by God they walk differently you say poor God drags his leg that poor guy has power with God that poor guy drags that poor guy drags his leg. Don't feel sorry. I'll tell you right now, as Jacob's leaning on that staff, what's he doing? I can't hear you. What's Jacob doing? He ain't feeling sorry for himself because he's got a, bam, a bum leg. Jacob's got power with God.
Think about it with me. I know it was all in a spiritual sense, but think of it in a literal sense. Isaiah has this moment where he shifts from being a scribe to a prophet. He sees God, remember? He says, woe is me, for I am clean. What's God do, Brother Gilbert? He takes a coal off the altar. Wonder what that looks like. Oh, Brother Marks, that's just figuratively. Okay, but I want you to think of it in a literal sense. Because I'm telling you, men that operate in the miraculous, they're marked, they're disfigured. I want a destiny. Are you willing to be disfigured? Wonder what it would have looked physically like if literally the coal had seared his lips. I don't know. There's 12, 15 different opinions what was wrong with Paul. Three times he asked God to take it. But finally he realized he had a now I know moment. Because he finally said, okay, I'll most gladly rather glory in my infirmities. But why? Well, because of the abundance of revelation. God. And then he said that the power of God may rest upon me. I'll live with a disfigured face. I'll drag a leg. I'll live with a humpback. A mother-in-law for a devil. I don't know what his I don't know what his ailment was. Ailment was. I don't know. But I want power. I want power more than I want clarity. I want power more than I want certainty. I want the miraculous. If you're here, it's 8.30, I'm finished. If you're here and you feel a connection to this, I want you to come. I want you to come quickly. I want you to come with an urgency. I want you to come believe in God. I want you to come now I Let's practice right now. Grab somebody close to you and shout together. Come on, grab somebody close to you and say together. Now, throw both hands in the air and say open. 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 Say open. And together. Together. You can't shut down. You can't quit. You can't bail. You can't backslide. You can't isolate. You can't become divisive. You got to stay open. You got to stay together. You got to keep your heart open. Come on. You, better, you need to ask God, give me, that, give me that desire I had as a 14, 15-year-old boy. Come on, I'm callous. I'm jaded. I don't want to be jaded. Come on, open your mouth and start crying out right now. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be. No. Open. Together.
Come on, lift your voice. There's a ministering spirit here right now. to somebody you've been shut down you got to get yourself back open I'm preaching to somebody that's been shut down you got to get your heart back open well I just don't know if I really want to be used of God you got to get your heart back open I just don't know if it's really worth it I want the easy life let me tell you something the real risk is not taking a risk at all I came in this world naked I may return but blessed be the name of the Lord though he slay me yet will I trust him yet will I trust him
come on, I need you to release your faith right now. If you really believe there's a ram caught in a thicket for you, I want you to thank God for it. Come on, if you feel like something's coming to an end. Something's waking up.